to the UNT BSM audio resources. If you want more information on the BSM, you can go to untbsm.com. Thanks for listening. Happy Friday. Are you excited? Weekend. So great. Okay, I'm excited too. Um, it's such a gift for me to be here. I actually got my undergraduate at uh, Texas A&M, whatever, who cares. Um, but I got my master's here, and yay, in counseling, God called me uh, away from teaching. Or used, I was a teacher in Plano ISD for five years, and then God put the burden on my heart to become a school counselor. And so I was, I was driving through the, I haven't been here in a while, driving through. I don't recognize any of the buildings. This building is incredible that you've got, I mean, the Union Center, all these things that just did not look like this when I was here. Um, so I graduated in 2008 from here. So it's totally a gift to be here. I, I love this place. Um, and, and culturally, it's very different from A&M. Um, I don't know if y'all have been to College Station. Denton School, come on. <laughs> so much better. Um, but it's just a miracle that I get to be here teaching. And I just want to tell you why. When I was a freshman in, in college, um, I did not know anything about the Bible. I don't think I ever didn't think it was true, but um, I became a Christian really shortly before I went to Texas A&M. God used that time to grow me and mature me in my faith. This is such a critical time in your life and in your spiritual life in particular. Um, but I had no idea how to study my Bible. In fact, I had just started. Um, my parents were so faithful to raise us in church. They brought us to church every Sunday. I was raised in a Lutheran church. Anybody raised in a Lutheran church? Catholic church. Episcopal. Baptist. There we go. Okay. <laughs> I knew I'd get to you. Um, but anyway, those churches tend to be a little bit more liturgical. The pastor says something, we repeat it back. It's like Lord's Prayer, Apostles' Creed. Um, you do this, I do this. So you learn how to do things, and it really becomes, um, it's good to learn things, but if you don't know why you're doing them, then, and there's not that relationship with Christ, then, then ultimately it's not very fruitful. Um, so I became a Christian. I started attending a Baptist church, you know, first time in a Baptist church my freshman year of college. Um, and I was just learning so much, but I was so embarrassed that I didn't know anything about the Bible because although my parents faithfully brought us to church, I didn't grow up in a family that read the Bible. So I'm just curious, if you grew up in a family that taught you the Bible, raise your hand. Okay, so like, okay, that's awesome. Um, that's great. That's really encouraging. Um, I did not. And so when I would go to church, I, I really knew very little. I think I might have known New Testament, Old Testament, but I spent the, my first freshman year probably memorizing the books of the Bible so I wouldn't look silly in church. I was worried about what everybody would think of me. So I would know exactly where to go when the pastor um, said, oh, we're in Matthew. Okay, I got to find it. Um, that was really not helpful. You know, it's like I wasn't really learning very much. I was just trying to like, I didn't want anybody else to think I didn't know stuff. Um, but anyway, it's a critical time, and I'm so excited to be here. When I was a freshman, I would just cry. I cried every day, uh, every Sunday, because I'd never heard worship music before. All we did was hymns, and so I was really having this really spiritual experience. God was intervening in a really big way. So um, I just want to encourage you. You guys are in such a sweet spot. Pursue your relationship with God. I'm so glad that you're here tonight, because um, God's going to use this time in a really big way. You make so many big decisions. Um, in your 20s in particular, and so it's critical where you are with the Lord and in your pursuit of him, and obviously knowing his word is part of that. And so um, whether you've been a believer for a long time or you're new to your faith, or if you're not a Christian, um, you, this will be helpful to you. Um, the reason I like this approach is because it kind of hits you wherever you're at. So here we go. Um, if you could go to the first slide, it's why is greater than how, I think. Yep. Um, so before we can address how to study the Bible, we need to address why we should study the Bible. 
So why questions are always more important than the how questions. I don't think all of these, if you want to take notes, I don't think those are actually in there. I just put a, a few other things. But why questions are always more important than how questions. And here's why. Because why questions answer the motivation for something, not just the nuts and bolts. If we don't know why we're doing something, it'll be really easy to stop. So the motivation needs to be there. The pure and right motivation needs to be there in the first place. So for example, we're studying the book of Genesis. I think, are you, any of you in the Old Testament class that's being taught here? Okay, cool. So we're studying the book of Genesis, and when people come to the book of Genesis, they always have one question. How did God do it? That's mostly even, you know, Genesis, particularly Genesis 1 is one of the most um, famous pieces of literature in the world. A lot of people know it, whether, whether they have belief in Christ or not. Um, but their question is, how did God do it? How did he create everything? And it's a really unfortunate question because a better question is why did he do it? If we know why he did it, then we can have a better framework on why, why it's important that we treat creation in a particular way and, and those sorts of things. And so um, he created because he made us and made everything to point to him, that we, that we are announcers of his glory. And so those, that why question is way more important of how, how did God do it. In fact, he doesn't even speak to the how. He said that he spoke it, it was by his will. We can look in other places in scripture. But he's not addressing how, he's addressing the why to which he did it. So why questions are more important than how. Um, so I gave you an example of that um, from the book of Genesis. But I also want to give you an example just from my own life. So when I turned 30, my husband surprised me with this incredible um, birthday present. So that was seven years ago. Um, he told me about two days before that we were going to go to London and see Coldplay, which is my favorite band. Sorry. I don't know. If anybody, did anybody go to Coldplay? Like, oh, oh my gosh. Okay, i got to tell you this really quick. Okay, humble brag, really quick. Um, I went to see Coldplay. Uh, when were they here? Last weekend? Last Saturday? Two weekends ago. And we got these awesome seats. And Kate, my husband, this is who he is. He's an introvert. He hates crowds. He's like, I love Coldplay, but I hate crowds more than I, I mean, so I'm not coming with you. Um, and so I'm like, okay. So I went with one of my friends. And... <laughs> And we have these incredible seats, and, and at one point the band like comes comes past us, like we're on the floor, and they they walk past us, and I'm like, touch Chris Martin, and I text my husband, I'm like, I just touched Chris Martin, he's like, I'm going to bed, this is crazy, um, and so it was just funny, but anyway, so he surprises me for my 30th birthday two days before, he's like, hey, we're going to London, and I didn't even, I'm like, oh my gosh, London, best place, it's one of my favorite cities, and we're gonna see Coldplay, and I'm like, oh my gosh, stop it, this is crazy. So we, we, we go to London. So not only did they have that surprise for me, but when I got there, and this is my sister over here, Diana, she, she lives in Morocco, actually. She's in town um, for a few weeks. But she had just had her third baby that I hadn't met. And so we get to the hotel where we're staying. I'm just so excited about Coldplay, excited to be in another country, excited to be just me and my husband. We had a daughter, one daughter at the time. And when we go into the hotel room, my sister's waiting there with her newborn baby. And I'm just crying. It's emotional. It's such a big surprise. So it was surprise after surprise after surprise. It was amazing. Concert, phenomenal. Jay-Z open for him. Come on, guys. Come on. <laughs> That's cool. So, and then we saw Jay-Z at the airport. Who, I mean, it was crazy. So we, I had this incredible experience. And so what I wanted to know, like whenever I saw my sister, I'm like, how did you do it? How did you plan all this? How did you like think to plan in advance? And how did they do it? And it was all these how questions. But the bigger question, and the more important question, is why did you do this? He did it because he loved me. I mean, I've never felt like that was extreme. Like it, he, but, but that was a more important question to be answered, the why, why? Because he loved me, and he wanted me to feel celebrated and special, and I, it was incredible. It's only downhill from there. I mean, once you do something like that, it's like, mic drop, I'm out, you know, whatever. But it, it was incredible. Um, 
Okay, so why are we here? I think there might be another slide. Why are we here? We are here to study the Bible. We are here because we want to know God and to be changed. We want to know God and want to be changed. And so the God of the universe has decided to make himself known through the scriptures. That's incredible. That should cause us to rejoice. That should cause us to celebrate. It should cause us to take this seriously, okay? He, re he reveals himself through creation. He says that in Romans 1. He reveals himself through um, his church and through other people, but the, in, through the person and work of Christ, right? Jesus is the exact imprint of the glory of God, and the, the exact imprint of his nature. So he has primarily chosen to do that through the scriptures, and so we have to take it seriously. It, will, it, it, it is how he has chosen, and so we don't get to choose the way that God speaks to us. He has spoken. That's it. Period. The end. Okay, so knowing him will change us, and that's important. Okay, so the next slide um, will show you a picture of Caleb and I when we first got married. That was almost 14 years ago. Um, and so when I look at that picture, that's at SMU. When I look at that picture, what I see is uh, two strangers. <laughs> I'm like, we did not know each other. But when we, th we got married, we thought, we're like, oh my gosh, we're so in love. We totally know each other. We're going we're gonna to figure this thing out. Um, but the truth is we really didn't know each other that much. We thought we did. So when you're making these decisions to get married and such, um, you're, you know, you're prayerful about it. You're doing it, though, basically on very little knowledge compared to what I know now about Caleb because this was 14 years ago. And it's similar when we come to our relationship with God. When I got saved, when God entered in my life, I knew that he was the God of the universe, and I knew that Jesus paid a price for my sin, and I needed him. I needed him. And, and so I didn't know anything else really about him. I, and that's why it's so important to pursue him in the scriptures because it, he's so much more than our Savior. He, that's very important. So much more than our Savior and our Deliverer. There's so many other aspects to his character. Okay, so Caleb and I get married. This was 14 years ago. What if I told you that I didn't know what his favorite food was or his favorite thing to do or favorite movie, favorite Netflix show, how he handles stress. You'd be like, man, poor Caleb, that's a terrible marriage because you've been married for 14 years and you don't know very much about him. So a lot of us can apply this to our relationship with God. You know, like, and this isn't like a, a drive-by shaming or anything like that, but like, think about it. Like, I, I, this is a special year for me. I'm turning 37 in just like a few, in, a, in about a week or so. Um, I became a Christian when I was 17, so I'm like, man, that was 20 years ago. Like, God has brought me so far. And I'm not saying that it, it's a journey. It's, it's a, you know, you walk forward two steps and you walk back, but God's brought me so far. And we should be able to look at our relationship with God and see some kind of trajectory of moving towards him. Um, and, and his word and how we pursue him in his word is a huge part of that. Um, and so I can tell you, I've been married to Caleb for 14, almost 14 years now. I can tell you that he loves like Kung Pao chicken, Pei Wei, that's his favorite meal. He's an introvert. He would, he hates being in crowds. He's like, please don't make me have surface level conversations with people. I only want to talk about deep things. Um, he's a libertarian. Um, he loves Rand Paul and, um, but he loves God passionately, loves the church. So I know, I know my husband, like I know him because I've spent time with him and that's what happens. You spend time with someone, you invest in them, you know them. And we need to approach God in the same way. We need to spend time with him. And, and the way that we can do that is through prayer and through the community and body of believers. But really, it's primarily through knowing him through the scriptures. So that's why we're here. And I want to point you to this truth that my um, teacher, Jen Wilkin, some of you guys may have read some of her books, and she, she teaches a Bible study in Farmham. She's incredible. But it's this truth, that the heart cannot love what the mind doesn't know. It's what Stephanie said in her prayer. We can't love what we don't know. Because as we get to know something, we will start to love it more and more and more. 
Um, and so I can definitely vouch that's been true in my life. But, okay, so I want to say this, disclaimer. God can't love you anymore. So you pursuing him in his word, learning how to study your Bible, does not change his love for you. It's, it's, his love for you is unchanging. He's already sent his son, it's done. But it can change your love for him. And so, because as you get to know him, your love will increase. And so I just want to drive that home. So what I want to do today, it's not to know a bunch of facts. We don't want to know a bunch of facts about God. That's not love. We want to increase our love for him, our knowledge, because it will increase our love for him. And so we're going to learn to study the Bible in a way that will lead to transformation. And so what I want to do first is just give you kind of like a 30,000 view, like you're looking out the window of a plane, everything's small, um, viewpoint on how to study the Bible. And then we'll do like boots on the ground. We're going to figure this out together. So we'll go through a passage at the end. So at the end, we're going to actually practice what we're going to talk through. And so um, how many of you like going to Target? I don't know, guys, sorry, you might not like it, but girls love going to Target. I was there today. It was on the bucket list of what my nieces wanted to do because they live in Morocco and there's no Target there. Um, and so they just wanted to wander around Target. It's very dangerous to go to Target without a list because you just buy stuff. I'm like, $100 later, I don't know. I've got napkins, straws, some T-shirts, pillow, random stuff. Um, so when you go to Target, you don't go to Target to get anything essential. It's all the extras, right? It's nothing essential. It's the extras. I want us to pursue what is foundational, not the extras. What is foundational? And the Bible is foundational. Everything else is extra. Everything else is extra. Um, I just want to point that truth to us. So if you go to the next slide, um, I want us to know what's essential is greater than that which is non-essential. And so, disciple. It means discipline. It means learner, okay? We're learners. We have to be learners of the word. Our goal is to build Bible literacy. That's just like a cumulative building knowledge of the scriptures. That's our goal when we study the Bible is to, is to build this understanding of scripture. Who likes discipline? Do we like that? No. My kids don't like it. They don't like spankings. I don't like them. I don't like getting in trouble. I want to do everything the right way. You know, we don't like to, um, we just want the fruit of it, right? We, like, we want the fruit of labor um, without any of the labor. We live in that kind of society. So, like, we want to get in shape without working out. We want to, like, write in that pretty calligraphy without, like, having to practice that. We want to play an instrument instantly. We want to be good at a lot of different things without doing the work. Well, it's just not going to happen. That's the reality of, of the way that God set things up. Hebrews 12, 11 points to this truth. It says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields to the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And so discipline's not fun. Like, there's not every day that I pick up my Bible and I'm like, this is so fun. But you keep going, you trust the process, knowing that God's going to bring fruit from it, okay? So um, I don't know what you guys, I, I mostly read my news, like, or whatever I read on, like, a device or a phone. I do have some books and stuff. But you, would you agree with me that you read a magazine differently than you'd read a book? Yeah, you, like, one you're browsing, looking at pages, the other one, or even a newspaper for that matter. Um, so there's a difference between, like, browsing through something and actually trying to gain information about something. Um, there's a difference between even reading a book and studying a book, right? So reading, you're trying to gain information. Studying is this detailed investigation, like you are going after it. Um, you probably, like when you're studying for a test, you're going to study differently than you would just like read something leisurely, right? Okay, so I just want to point you to a few differences. And then there's a difference when um, you do like a Bible reading plan. Has anybody ever done a Bible reading plan? I have like gone through Genesis and Matthew like several times and you just flake out kind of halfway through. I did. I did. I completed it one time and that was like, oh my gosh, a miracle. Okay. 
Um, so that would be studying for breadth, like trying to go a distance, okay? What I'm gonna talk to you about today is not that. It is studying for depth. We're gonna, I'm gonna talk to you about studying line by line the scriptures, okay? Um, and I'm pushing you towards depth because, depth because I think we're a society that's kind of like ADHD. We're kind of all over the place and we're not good at staying still. And so that's what I'm gonna encourage us to do. Um, so our goal is to build Bible literacy. I've talked about that. Um, have you guys ever done, like, some people have, like, devotions, like, devotional reading or, like, a topical Bible study like um, the armor of God or dating and relationships or how to get rid of anxiety. And those are great. They're super helpful. But I want to tell you that it's not foundational. They're, they're very helpful because what it actually does is it's building this spot knowledge of the scriptures. Like, you know, this scripture and this scripture, but you have no idea what the context is. You don't know what he meant to the original, what the author was writing to the original here. So it's, it doesn't actually help build Bible literacy. It makes you feel like you're kind of good at, a, a, you kind of have an understanding, but it's not going deep. And so um, that's why I'm going to push you towards that. Um, so I have this picture of this oil painting, Van Gogh, Starry, Starry Night. The reason why is because as you study the Bible, you are adding a layer. This takes layers and layers of paint. You are adding a layer onto your understanding of who God is. Each day, each minute, minute by minute, hour by hour, each day that you study, you're adding on another layer. Art conservators say that it takes an oil painting 60 to 80 years for it to dry. I thought that was crazy. So it's not really dry. And, and, and I love that, that point because that's like our understanding of God is never firmed up. Like we're always adding in another layer and another layer of who he is. And you're going to go through a trial and you're going to see another layer of who he is. And you're going to study a different book that you've never heard about. And you're going to see another part of his character. So we are always adding layers of our understanding of God. Okay, God is greater than self. That's another essential truth that we have to know as we're walking into how to study the Bible. No one would ever say that. Like no one in this room is going to say, I'm better than God. But we act like it, right? Or we act like it and we even in our arrogance sometimes approach the scriptures and look for ourselves first. We're like, hey, how can the Bible... Like, how can it be my magic eight ball and, like, decide if this is a good thing? Like, that's, that's not the way it was meant to, to be written. It's not good advice. It's not a self-help book. It's the Bible. And so we have to look at it that way. We have to look at the Bible as a book about God. So what's the opening line of the Bible? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Um, my daughter's in third grade, so she's learning how to diagram sentences. And so I was like, ooh, Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And I'm like, what's the subject? And she's like, oh, this is hard because it has that in the beginning part. And she got to God. God is the subject. God is the subject of the scriptures. In Genesis 1, his name is used 35 times. Moses was trying to tell us, hey, this is about God. This is about God. This is about God. So let's put first things first. The Bible is a book about God. And so we have to orient our time as we learn about God, that, that it's about him. And so if we don't recognize this, we're not going to really understand the Bible when we're like, okay, where does it talk about me? Where does it talk about me? Okay. So we acknowledge that the Bible is a book about God, but then we study it as though it's a book about who? Us. So that's what we're going to work on today, okay? So I did this. I did this for 14 years. I probably, I, I mean, I was guilty of this. Like, okay, Lord, what do you have to say to me today? Just want to read a psalm. Just want you to speak to me. And I'm not saying that that's bad. That's super encouraging. His word is so encouraging. But it's really not going deep, and that's what I really want us to do. I want us to change that kind of thinking. So um, the reason why is because we can't have a true knowledge of God um, without the scriptures, and we can't really know ourselves without knowing God. So I want you to write down the scripture, Hebrews 4.12. I, I don't know if you're familiar with it. We studied the book of Hebrews last semester. It's a beautiful book, but the scripture is this, for the word of God is living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts 
and intention of the heart. So this describes the word of God as it's alive, it's active, it's like a weapon or like a scalpel. Um, I would say what it is, and the reason why is because what does the word of God reveal? Who God is. And so what, when we see who God is, then what do we see about ourselves? Who we are in relation to him. It's not pretty, right? It's not pretty because he's perfect, he's holy, completely perfect and without sin. And so we see a true diagnosis of who we are when we come to his word. So that's how we are to relate to the word of God. as It diagnoses us. It shows us how we are in, in relation to him. And so I told you, we studied the book of Hebrews. So when, when I go through a Bible study, we study line by line the entire book of Hebrews, all 13 chapters. Each week at the end, one of our last questions is, um, what attribute of God's character did you see more clearly? And so if I were to go through all 11 weeks of our study, what I saw was faithful, that God is faithful. So the book of Hebrews is about Jesus, uh, God the Son. It's about Jesus. Um, and so God is faithful. This is what I learned. He faithfully fulfilled every promise in Jesus. And so when I look at God's faithfulness, then what can I see about myself? That I'm unfaithful, that I'm a little inconsistent, a little double-minded, a little bit swayed by my circumstances. And I can lean into the unchanging nature of God, character of God, to, to steady me um, and to become more like him. And so it shows me that I'm in need of a Savior. Does that make sense? So we're going to look to God first. Let's look at his attributes and then look at ourselves in light of who he is. Okay, next slide is whole is greater than parts. That is actually true, a true statement, but yes, it is. So there's a, you guys know, the Bible is one book. It's one, one book, one story. It is one story from beginning to end showing the greatness of God, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. It's one story. And since it's one story, we need to study it as one story. So I'm going to encourage you to study one whole book. I don't even care which book it is, beginning to end, but study all of the Bible, but start with one book at a time and just stay there. Um, stay in one place. So we're not good at this as a culture. We like have our smartphones and we've got ADHD and we're just like bouncing all over the place and we just want to move on to the next thing. But I'm going to encourage you to stay in one book of the Bible and allow that, that book to introduce the topic. That's what's so cool about Scripture. You guys don't have to do a topical study on anything. Study a book of the Bible. It will bring up everything. We're studying Genesis. We're learning about, obviously, the, that God is supreme creator. But we're going to learn about marriage. We're going to learn about families. We're going to learn about sin. We're going to learn about sibling rivalry. We're going to learn about a lot of different things. Let the scripture introduce the topic. That's what I encourage you to do. Because sometimes we're like, we just want that dating relationship. Just, just give me that hot advice, you know. I don't know what to do. Or whatever it is. I need direction for my future. I don't know what to major in. Like, God is so good to direct our steps. He's so faithful. So I just want you to trust the process of studying a whole book at a time. And sometimes it'll be fascinating. Sometimes it'll be confusing. But press into the process. That's what I want to encourage you. We, we are such an instant gratification society. We want to we wanna drive through. We want to order our drink. I want to order my Chipotle in advance and just drive up, pick it up, go my own way. I want everything to serve me. And so when the scriptures don't serve me the way that I think, that hey, that didn't feel encouraging. I didn't know what he was talking about with the Nephilim and Genesis chapter 6. What is that about? Um, you know, we need to allow the scriptures to press in on us and trust the process of learning. Just like in your classes. I'm sure you guys, is there ever times in your classes where you're like, I have no idea what my professor is talking about? You, and, and then you give it some time, you're like, okay, that makes more sense. Trust, maybe you're like, no, actually that would be helpful if that happened eventually. Um, but God, God is the best teacher. Trust him, trust the process that you are making a deposit, like a savings account, you're storing it up, you're storing it up. One day it will make sense. God will reveal it to you maybe in the middle of the night one night. Like, what, what was the point of that text? Okay, so we won't always be able to apply it immediately. But it might not give us peace in the moment, but we're making a deposit into this, like, savings account type of mentality of having a cumulative knowledge of Scripture. Okay, 
2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. So you probably know this. You're probably familiar. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, correction, training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So like we studied the book of Judges a few years ago. Have you guys ever studied that book? It's incredible. It's an incredible book. Women's Bible study, studying the book of Judges. Like it's crazy. There's so much war and terrible things are happening to women, but there's some insanely... Um, brave and amazing characters in the book of Judges. There's Deborah, there's J.L., who else is there? Um, there's, like, women that are even unnamed that, like, throw a rock on somebody's head and, like, kill the enemy. It's, like, crazy. It's such a good book. Um, but I would have never studied the book of Judges on my own. But it's part of God's word, and what's revealed in the book of Judges is that God is so loving, and he is so steadfast, um, and he is so patient with his people. So just don't, don't be afraid to go to certain places. Go with friends, and that's what I'm going to say like, at the end when we start talking about like, what could this look like in my life. Take your friends with you. It's not so lonely when you take your friends with you. Okay, so pick a book and stay there. And then the next slide is intellect is greater than emotion. Okay, I put the asterisk there because this is not necessarily true. I'm just saying God made us to be whole people, and our emotions are incredibly important. But I think sometimes when we study the Bible, we want to feel something, and so we want to lean into that feeling, and we really need to engage our mind, because it's actually our, our mind, our intellect, that should inform our emotions so that we can think rightly about God. Because I was in a funk two, two weeks ago, and I was just like, hey, babe, Caleb, I'm in a funk. I don't know why. Can't explain it, but just know that I'm there, and I can't get myself out of it. But I don't know why, question mark. You know, <laughs> just going to let you know so you walk carefully around me. Um, but... We're, we're humans. We feel a lot of different things, but we can't bring this into our study of the Bible. I'm not saying let your mind, and as you learn about who God is, affect how you feel about him. Okay, that's all I'm saying. Um, allow your intellect to inform your emotions. Okay, and then the next slide, because of this truth, this, this is the truth, because what comes into our mind actually settles into our heart and comes out with our actions. So the idea is like what we think about goes into our heart and it comes out with what we do, with what we say and what we do. That's what the hand is supposed to represent. Um, Jesus pointed to this truth when he said the overflow of the heart and the mouth will speak. Well, how does stuff get in your heart? Because you think about it, right? <laughs> That's how it gets there. It doesn't just jump in there. So I think we circumvent the mind process sometimes when we skip around. Um, sometimes there's a disconnect between, you guys know probably, a lot of you were raised in church, you are raised in Bible teaching homes, you know the right thing to do and you fail to do it. I, I know the right thing and I fail to do it sometimes. Why? Because I think partially it is because of what we think about. We don't think about the truth of God. We don't meditate on scripture. We're not trying, we're not thinking about him. We're disregarding him. And so I want you to engage your mind. Okay, next slide is Romans 12.2. I told my Bible study the other night, we're going through the book of Genesis right now. And I said, if I had a little pennant flag for our Bible study, it would be this verse. It would be, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. How do we renew our minds? By, by focusing on the word of God. That's how we do it, by engaging our minds and focusing on the word of God. Okay, next scripture, Matthew twenty two thirty seven. This is a command from God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. With all your mind. And I just want to make this caveat, not with the mind of your pastor, whoever your favorite pastor is, not with the mind of whoever your favorite spiritual mentor is or spiritual like superstar that you think is a great teacher or a great speaker, but with your mind. Because that's God, that's God saying, hey, I'm asking you to think about me with your mind. Think about me. Not, don't, and God uses teachers. I'm not, teachers are great. 
but he wants you to have your own opinions about him too. Like come to him, to come to the scriptures, ask him what he's talking about in, in this verse and all of these other things. So your mind. Okay, next one. Colossians 3, 1 and 2. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on things of earth. So just be another verse pointing to the importance of where our minds are. Okay, so the next uh, slide is about uh, a marathon is greater than a sprint. This is true in a lot of cases. Um, a marathon is a greater distance. It takes a longer time to run. But in particularly um, the spiritual nature of our walk with God, it is a marathon and not a sprint. It is described that way. Um, so did you guys watch the Olympics? It was awesome. I was I was went into a low-grade depression after they were over because every night we were like, Okay, who's, what's on tonight? Is it gymnastics? Is it, is it the swimming? Is it the sprinting? Who do we all remember? It's like Michael Phelps, Usain Bolt, Simone Biles, like all the people that were really dynamic. Who does nobody probably care about? It's like the distance runners, you know? And they ran 26.2 miles. It's crazy. Um, I like had to Google who they were. I was like, who are these people? Um, I can't even say their names, but I'm going to try because they won the Olympics for running 26.2 miles. Eliud Kipoj from Kenya and Jemima Somgong from Kenya. Um, and there was two Americans that meddled in the, the, the marathon as well. So what I'm saying is it's, it's like marathons are like, you're like, cool, I ran a marathon. They're going to like put it on a bumper sticker in the back of their car. But like what we really want to see and what engages us is actually like the cool stuff, like the flips and the, um, the swimming at incredible rates of speed and winning like 22 medals and all that crazy stuff. But, but in scripture, God describes our walk as a marathon. And that's in Hebrews chapter 12. Your Christian life is one of marathon. It's a marathon. It's not a race of speed. It's one of stamina. So if you could take that away tonight and take that through college, hey, it's not about just getting, it's about this long race that's not over till we're face-to-face with our maker, okay? It's not about just college. It's not about just getting married. It's not about getting to the next thing. This, this walk with God is until you meet him, and then it's forever, forever past that. Okay, so um, Hebrews 12 says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let us run the race with endurance. I don't know if you guys like to run for distance, if you like to run at all. It's not, I mean, we went jogging this morning, I'm like, it's so hot out here, can we just stop? You stop, it's tiring. Um, so running is hard. Endurance requires, it's pain over time. That's what it means. It's something that's going to be painful over time. But we got to trust that we're going to get to that finish line because God promises that he doesn't let any of his children go. We will get to the finish line. We just need to keep pursuing him and he has us. Um, okay, so just as we're supposed to take a long-term view um, in our lives as believers, I want you to take that same view with your study, okay? So this is a marathon, not just the Christian life, but studying is a marathon, okay? It's a, it's a process. It's not, gonna, it's not a sprint. It's not get through that verse or get through that passage. Be patient. It's a long race. That's all I want to say about that. Learning is a process. You guys are in college. You totally know that, right? Learning is a process. You can't skip around. You have to do it systematically. We don't like when things don't come naturally. I'm like teaching my boys how to read. They're frustrated. I want to cry. They're like, not reading again. So I, I'm getting, and even my own um, coming to the scriptures and, and, not, and having a lack of understanding. 
um, and just want 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 it to be clarified. But learning is a process, and we need to we need to just lean into that feeling of not feeling like we understand it. That's okay. It's okay not to understand. This is a really um, it, God revealed Himself, but there's a lot to learn about who He is. Um, I know learning is your context, so you're like we're learning all the time. Well, take that same respect that you would give to your like organic chemistry book or English book. Um, the process. You you have a syllabus. You know what you're going to accomplish. It's a patient process. Okay, so I just want to drive that home. Um, we need to be more comfortable with saying, "Hey, I don't know the answer to that." Do you know how? Do you know how that goes such a long way? Have you guys ever had a conversation with someone who had a different viewpoint than than you did, and they're like, "Well, what about this about the Bible?" And you're like, "You know what? I don't know the answer to that, but I'll 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 look I'll I'll try and look into that and I'll get back to you." I think humility and just saying I don't know can go so far. We need to kind of give that a hug, especially in this political season. And you guys know, you're at a place, the college is for everyone, regardless of what school you're at, is a context where people have a lot of different world viewpoints, right? Like you're in class with people that think very differently than you, I'm assuming. And so anyway, we just need to be more comfortable with saying we don't know things, but loving, being loving and patient, be confident in who God is. Okay, so we have to fight for understanding. We can't circumvent the learning process. And that's going to help us actually when we get the answer, like when we understand something better, it's going to help it stay with us, okay? If you've ever been lost and then figured out the way to go, like, oh, yeah, I'll never make that wrong turn. I just, like, made the wrong turn on the one-way street in that little circle on Union Circle. I'm like, shoot, um, I'll never go that way again because that, that felt uncomfortable. I was like, oh, man, I didn't like that. Okay, so, um, okay, next slide is a, being a participant is greater than being a spectator. Being a participant is greater than being a spectator. So like when you're watching the Olympics, don't you wish you were out there like running or sprinting or doing those flips rather than watching? I was like, oh man, I feel so lazy. I'm here on my TV, y'all are entertaining me. Um, but being in the game is so much better than watching the game. And, and studying the Bible, same thing, okay, same thing. We live in a spectator culture. We just want to watch, you know. We want to watch. We want someone, it's a consumer mentality. We want to consume. We want somebody to teach us, somebody to give us the answers. Um, but I just want to put before you, so when we do our Bible study, let me just tell you this really quick. We do, you have your, your study time, your personal time in the Word. So the women actually do homework that come to the Bible study. Then they have small group time. So they get to test their answers with one another. They don't have, they're not using commentary. They're not, no one's told them anything. They're just doing it. They're having meaningful discussion about Scripture. And then lastly, they have teaching. So there's personal time, there's a group discussion, and there's teaching. Those dynamics, are, I think those three things are awesome. They might not all happen in one context for you, but they're really important. And be aware of what you're really comfortable with. Like, hey, it's just me and God and my Bible. Okay, that, that's not, I mean, that's important, but it's not everything. God has called us to walk in community. Um, and he's gifted people with teaching to reveal things and to help us gain understanding. So we're not in this race, though, to be on the sidelines. You're a participant in it. That's what I tell all my women, because I don't want them to think, oh, this is going to be an awesome teaching in my job. If they've, like, read the scripture, they've already had discussion, the weight isn't only on me or on the other teachers to, like, make it so awesome that they're just relying on us. So let's, we have to, like, get away from that consumer mentality, and I encourage you to do so with your own um, study time as well. Okay, so here we go, nuts and bolts. So the Bible is a book, so we've got to treat it like a book. Isn't that like mind-bending? It's a book. God chose to reveal himself through literature. So to treat the Bible as though it's an algebra book or anything where we're just going to flip it open and start in the middle doesn't make any sense. We need to pick a book and study it. And so this is, this is actually in your handout. Archaeological questions. So this is how you should start. Let's say you're going to study the book of Colossians. You want to ask, you want to ask some archaeological questions. Who wrote the book? 
When was it written? Who, who was it written? It, who, to whom was it written? What style was it written? And when I say what style, it means genres. Like this is like English, high school English. Is it a historical narrative? Is it prophecy? Is it poetry? Is it an epistle? What is it? And then what are the themes of the book? So ask those questions before you get started because I think so often I've heard, and I ho- you guys have probably heard the same thing. You've heard somebody say, oh my gosh, that verse just means this to me. Nothing drives me crazier than that. I just take that verse to mean this to me because it can't mean something deeply to us unless we understand what Paul was probably talking to his audience, the church, when he wrote it to them first. So knowing what they were going through, knowing what Paul was trying to express to them, helping, like when I understand that, I can take that with me and then have a deeper understanding of what he was trying to say and then ask myself, how should that change me? Okay. So we're going to just, did you guys take your SATs recently? Do they still do those? I'm so out of it, y'all. Okay, so when you take your SAT, comprehension, right? You, you read a passage, and then you just answer questions about it. They simply want to know, can you, did you understand what it said? Did you, at a base level, understand what it said? Not what it meant, but what it said. So when we, uh, we're going to actually go through this passage, Colossians 1, 15 through 23. And so when you read through it, I want you to know, I want you to be like, hey, did I understand what it said? What did it mean? If there are words I don't understand, look them up in the dictionary. What a concept. So great. Um, Okay, so read for comprehension first. Then I want you to add another layer on your understanding. I want you to read for interpretation. That just means what did it mean? So what did it say first? One more thing on that. False teachers rely on the fact that you don't even know what the Bible says, period. So you'll hear a lot of false teaching, but you're like, oh, I don't think that sounds right. But since we don't know what the Bible says on a base level, not what does it mean, but what does it just say, we get kind of lost in some things. So know what the Bible says, that's comprehension. And then what does it mean, interpreting, interpretation. So we take a stab, what do we think this means, okay? And then um, application, that's the last thing. So, So the biggest error that people make when they read scripture is they read it and immediately want to apply it to their lives. I read this, now I'm going to apply it to my life. Well, no, we want, to, we want to go through what does it say, what does it mean, and then, lastly, how does it change me? That's application. So as you go through application, I'm not sure, I think I put this in there. What did I see about God? How do I see myself in relation to God, and how should that change me? And so what I encourage you to do, and then lastly, what aspect of God's character did I see in the text? So we're going to go through that in just a second. But when you study and read on your own, let's say you're like, hey, I'm going to study the book of Colossians on my own. Do one chapter at a time, something like that. Read it for comprehension, interpretation, application. You're going to look for repeated phrases, things that might have stood out to you. Hey, he's saying Christ a lot. That probably means something. Oh, I see creation a lot. That probably means something. Um, What I'm going to ask you to do is study Bibles are awesome. I would ask you to read the text without a study Bible. I would tell you just get a double-spaced copy of the notes or people are like, oh, that's so old school, I don't want to do that. Read it on, like, whatever device you do, but have a way to mark on it, even if it's, I don't know, like an iPad Pro. I don't even know what does that. Um, Sorry, I'm out of it. I'm just, like, old school. I'm like, where's the paper and the markers? Um, But the point is we have to get our hands on the text first. We have to get our hands on the text first. So I want you to do that. Um, But don't use commentary. So study notes are, like, did you know that? Like a study Bible, that's somebody's opinion at the bottom, where all that commentary is. That's somebody else's thoughts. I want you to think about it with your own mind first, as we talked about. And then, after you've gone through this process, then go back and get some clarification. And I'm sure Stephanie could point you towards some commentary that are great um, if you want to do that. So that's that's the way I would study. Um, So forget about all this talking. Let's actually practice it. I'm going to give you... I don't know, five minutes? 
I want you to look at that scripture. You have it on your hands. Mark it up. I want you to look for, ask yourself, what is it saying? What does it mean? What is it saying about God, his character? Are there any things that he's saying a lot, any repeated phrases, any cross-references, any scriptures like, oh, he's saying that. That made me think about this, you know, and, and another scripture to the side. So mark it up, and then we're going to go through it together, and I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. I should play the Jeopardy music.
One more minute. Sorry. <laughs> okay, what do you think? Ready? Ish. This is just like to give us um, just, just some context so we can practice this. Okay, so I've got to say, so Paul wrote this epistle. He wrote it to the church in Colossae who were struggling with believing some false doctrines. Okay, so like I said before, the why question is always more important than how. So in every New Testament epistle that you're going to read, Paul is always going to tell his, the church that he's writing to the reason why they should do something before he's going to tell them how they should do it. Okay, so this was part of his um, theological uh, de declaration of who Christ is. And he's saying this is why, this should be your motivation for why you should live a life the way you're going to live it before he's going to tell them how to do that. Okay, so just to draw that back home. Okay, can we do something really wiggy? It's going to wig you guys out. We all stand up and we're going to read this, this text together out loud. Okay, don't be afraid. It's great. Here we go. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Thank you, guys. Okay. Okay. So um, one of the first things that hopefully you did was saw some, some things. Paul was repeating some words here. And the first thing I did, if you go to the next uh, slide, is circle the word he, him. Uh, this, was, this text is about Jesus. He is the subject. Over and over and over, he is the subject of this text. So when I went through the first time, I noticed some, some repeated words. So that's what I'm going to do first. The second, the second slide will show the next word I saw repeated was all. Um, oh, sorry, you. So first he talks about himself mainly. He's the subject of the first paragraph. And then he said, then he's going to give some instructions. So it's mainly about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. But then he starts saying in you. He starts drawing the church that this letter was written to into the, into the equation. Okay, and then next it was all. So he says all. All, 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 all. And then he said fullness. You know how many times he said all? Seven times. So that's significant. I'm sure you know that seven means perfection. It's a number of perfection. Paul, there was a reason he was um, writing in this way. He knew exactly what he was doing. He was saying, hey, Christ is everything. He is all. He is the fullness of God. He's really driving that home, 
even in the, in the way he uses um, his words. Okay, and then I also notice he says created. Um, so it's super small, don't worry about it. But like created is, is repeated several times. Creation, created, created. And then um, and he says it again in that last verse, um, verse 23. So I noticed that. And then there was also this theme after that of firstborn. Um, that's, yeah, that comes next. So he says firstborn. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. He said that twice. What does that mean? Um, and then he says beginning, like talking about crisis at the beginning. And so that's kind of what I would probably do first is just like go through and like mark up the text. Oh, I saw these words, whatever. And then one verse at a time. And so the first verse, he's the image of the invisible God. And, and I also noticed, oh, he's saying invisible. And then in the next verse, he says visible and invisible. So he's saying that Jesus, you know, made, was made flesh. He is God's image. He is the exact imprint of God. Um, if, you, if you go to the next slide, um, oh, reconcile. Sorry, that was in there twice. I'm like, okay, I'm going to look at that. Did I do any? Okay, next one. <clears throat> okay. So this is where I'm like, okay, he is the image of the invisible God. So I just wrote down my little cross-reference that immediately popped in my mind was Hebrews 1.3 which um, says that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his, of his um, nature. And then I went to firstborn. I'm like, what does that mean? Okay, Jesus, what do you mean the firstborn of all creation? I thought it was Adam. Um, and, 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 and then real, like doing some further studying. Okay, this isn't a physical firstborn child. This is the, he is the spiritual firstborn. He was the first one that was resurrected from the dead. Um, and so just kind of going through systematically like that and then stepping back from the verses, um, and uh, let's see, the next verse, uh, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, um, whether thrones, rulers, or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And so Jesus created all things. I just summarize it. Sometimes I'll do a paraphrase, like what is the verse saying? I'll, I'll, I'll word it in my own words. Jesus created all things. He was the agent through which all things were created, and it's all for him. He is the point of all of it. It's all for him, for his glory. And so the attribute that I would see about God, the incommunicable attribute, the thing that can only belong to him, is that he is creator. Jesus is creator. That's clearly one of the points that Paul's trying to make. Jesus is creator. And then I saw whether thrones or dominions or authorities. Um, I went to Ephesians 6.12, the armor of God, um, that, that where he's talking about, you know, that we need to, that our battle isn't against flesh and blood. And so I think what, the, what Paul's trying to say here. Um, is that, hey, he created all of it. The things you can see, the things you can't see, the things that are in charge of you, the authority, the government, all of it, but even the governments that you can't see, the, the things that are happening in the spiritual world, it's all created by him and it is all for him. Okay, and so when it's, and then it's the same theme of firstborn. Jesus is before all things, so Jesus is first. So that's what I just wrote. Just simple notes, but it's just, it's just this is my process. And yours does not have to look exactly like this, but just some way that you're getting your hands on the text is super helpful. Okay. Um, and he is the head of the body, the church. So I just wrote Jesus is, I think, the leader of the church is what I was trying to write there. Okay, um, he, and then, did you do the next one? I, the next slide, thanks. Um, uh, that in everything he might be preeminent. And I'm like, preeminent. I think I know what that means, but I'm not totally sure. I would love to hear what Merriam-Webster had to say about that. Um, surpassing all others, distinguished in every way. So then I might read it again and, be, and say, okay, he's the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be surpassing all others, distinguished in every way. That kind of helps me get a little bit closer to maybe what Paul is trying to say. Um, okay, he was the firstborn from the dead. We see that again, that he's the spiritual firstborn. Um, and then verse 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That idea that, I, I mean, just thinking about God being pleased with his son whenever Jesus gets, gets baptized, says, this is my son, my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. God is pleased to dwell in Christ. Um, so they're just going through it systematically like that in that last verse. 
and through him to reconcile, and I wrote purpose, that was a purpose of, that's what Jesus did, reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That's how he did it. His purpose was to reconcile. How did he do it? The blood of the cross. And so then the attribute of God that I saw, the attribute of Christ, is that he is deliverer. He is deliverer. We are reconciled because of him. And so then you can see, this is who God is. Jesus is, and this is talking about Jesus, so I would say Jesus is creator. Jesus is deliverer. Jesus is God. Jesus is first. Um, and then I would look I would look to him first. So that's, that's one of the things. Okay, let's get to the second paragraph. And you who are once alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Okay, three things. Like, Jesus did this when he taught in parables. He would tell, like, the, the story of the lost coin and then the widow. You know, like, he, he taught in groups of three. Paul's doing the same thing. He's saying three things, alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He's dri- trying to drive home this point um, of who we were. So now the subject has changed. You used to be all these things. And notice the progression. I think this is really interesting. Alienated, hostile in mind. See how the mind comes before the deeds? You were hostile in mind, and so what were you doing? Evil deeds. See how the mind comes into that? Okay, moving on. Um, and let's see, he has now reconciled us in his body of flesh by his death, and so I wrote, like, on the cross, in order to present you, and he's going to do it again, holy, blameless, above reproach, three words with a similar meaning, emphasizing everything that Christ accomplished on the cross. Okay, and then it says this, if indeed you continue in the faith, and then he's going to do it again, stable, steadfast, not shifting, okay, all words that mean the same thing, he's trying to just emphasize his point, um, and I'm like, what do you mean if? Why are you saying if indeed you continue? Shouldn't I mean? What do you mean? Don't, I mean, so just rem- being reminded that that our salvation is secure in Christ, but it is also uh, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Like we need to. He has us. He will not let us go. But it is also that grace-driven effort. We we pursue God. We get sanctified, but it requires effort. We don't just lay back by the pool and lay out and we become holy. Holiness doesn't happen on accident. So it requires effort. Um, okay, so stable, steadfast, not shifting from the hope um, that you earned, which has been proclaimed in all of creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. And so um, I put up, like, just the idea of, like, we can't lose our salvation. Philippians 1, 6, he, he, he who began a good work in you will complete it. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, and then 10 through 23, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Just in regards to that. Okay, um, let's see. What else did I write over here? Jesus earned, earned it. His death on the cross alone reconciled us to God. And so I'm just kind of like teasing out my own thoughts as I come across the scripture. So that exact process doesn't have to be yours. I'm just saying this is an example of something that you could do. And something you could do with a group. Like let's say you and somebody else or just a few people. You could pick a book, say we're going to go through it. Let's all get together and let's, uh, you know, get the background information. And then let's um, go through chapter one and we'll meet together next week and we'll show each other our observations. And then why don't you read this commentary, and I'll read this one, and we'll come together and see if anything wasn't clear and get together on what we thought it might have been. Okay, so this is about the process. It's not about the result. Okay, this whole, like, why we're here studying the Bible, I I want you just to be comfortable with the process. Have a process. Have a process. How about that? Have a process. Um, That's the point. So get a group, pick a book, get a double-spaced line of the text, read the envelope. That's what we call it when you do those context archaeological questions. Read the envelope. I, I did this the other day. I got a letter in the mail, and I didn't read who it was from. Or actually, I only read the last name, but I forgot to read the address, and I was so wigged out. I'm like, why is my daughter's friend's mom sending me a thank you card for taking her home from school? And then it was like for ba- a baby shower. I'm like, okay, that makes a lot more sense, because that was crazy. Um, 
So read the envelope, dig into the text, look for themes, repeated phrases, all those kinds of things. And um, okay, so the, the last point I want to make, and I think this is the last slide, is this is not for, so knowing God, I saw your mission statement for BSN, it's knowing God, why? To make him known, right? This is not just so that we can have all this knowledge of God, so it can just be us and God in this fuzzy little bubble. It is to, to, to fulfill what Jesus asked us to do in the Great Commission, which is Matthew 28, 18. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go for, there, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's always so encouraging. You guys are all teachers. If you, have the, if you are a believer, you are a teacher. Bottom line. That's what that scripture says. We are to make disciples. You are to teach them. We all, have it. We all are participants, not spectators. Okay, that's all I have. Do you guys have any questions? You're like, it's Friday. Anything not make sense? Any, who, is anybody studying intentionally like this? Similar to. Just, cool. Is it intimidating or is it like, we can do this? What do you think? Dot, dot, dot. We'll see. Okay. Well, hopefully this is just a tool in your tool, tool belt. And if anything, I just want to encourage you just to try and go deep rather than go far um, as you study the word because I think it's through that just patient process that God really reveals who he is to us in his word. Let me close this in prayer. I definitely want to pray over you guys before I leave. Um, God, I love you. Thank you so much. What a gift um, to get to be here with these awesome students that are so faithful um, to be here on a Friday night, um, desiring just to know you more. I pray, Father, that you would um, relieve any of their fears, Father, that they have approaching you um, in a deeper way in the word. I pray that you would give them endurance um, and perseverance to study, Father, that you would remind them that just this process of discovering you in the scriptures um, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And so I just pray you would give them encouragement, Lord. I pray that you would um, reveal yourself to them as they study. And God, but most of all, I pray, Father, that you would do exactly what you say you will do. You will be with us always. You would use them to be teachers, that your gospel would go forth on this campus, Father. I thank you for just their faithful ministry, Father. I pray that you would give them bold voices to teach others who you are and to point to you in all they do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.